Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. I am Don Helbig, alongside the peripatetic Ryan, sir. Ryan, how are you doing tonight? Peripatetic? What does that even mean, Don? Danger everywhere. Oh, my gosh. I guess that is true. Don, uh, I just want to start off the episode by reminding our listeners that they can follow us on their favorite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if they could follow us on YouTube... Uh, that's where the action's going to happen because we're going to start going live and doing giveaways and having all sorts of fun stuff like that. Uh, so, Don, today's episode's going to be special. Every episode's special, but why is today special? Well, episode eight, Ryan, it's all about influencer marketing and why brands want to work with influencers. That's right, Don. So we're going to talk about influencers and how they fit into the marketing plan for Parks today. So... You know, let's get this uh, let's get this party started. So, across all the social platforms like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and other channels, blogs, and so on, um, it's, it seems like influencers are creating a lot of uh, theme park related content. Um, why aren't many theme park facilities and entertainment facilities like tapping into this mark as a marketing strategy? Well, Ryan, I would think they don't understand the benefits of using influencers as a marketing strategy. Um, you know, where to find the right influence. Uh, you know they're going to fit their build that into their uh, content strategy for the year or their marketing strategy. So I think that's a big part of it is just not uh, you know understanding the benefits really and how that's really going to help you by having those third party endorsements. Yeah, absolutely. Like third party endorsements, it comes with integrity in a lot of cases. So how would you define what an influencer is? I, everybody has. A YouTube channel. Everybody has a TikTok except me. Everybody has an Instagram and a Facebook. Who of these people are influencers? How do you define that? Well, I think everyone's an influencer, Ryan. You know, if you have a Twitter account, you have one follower and you post something and somebody responds to that, you had influence. So I think everybody's an influencer. You're just going to have some people that have a lot of followers and others and they're going to have greater influence. That's true. I guess if you get, if you sell one ticket, you're an influencer. So, um, how do you find influencers that are like a good fit for your, your brand? Like how, how are they identified? Well, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it to find and identify those influencers. There's different, uh, uh, search platforms out there that uh, you can build. So look at, uh, you know, whether it's your competitors or, uh, you know, just other brands and, you know, who they're working with. Um, you know, what kind of stories are they doing? How does their audience interact uh, with them after they've, they've published uh, a story or done a YouTube video? Um, so I think those are the kind of things I want to look at is just see, uh, you know, who's working with who and if they're fit for you, but also use some of those search platforms. So what are the best ways to build relationships with these influencers? I think, Ryan, you want to start slowly. You know, you kind of have to nurture that relationship a little bit. Uh, you want to reach out, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, maybe you want to comment, um, you know, on, on some of the stories that you've seen them do on their channels. Uh, you know, relationship that way, you know, uh, through that introduction and by, you know, just really talking about the things that you've seen them do and then letting them know that, uh, you know, you have similar products that you feel that uh, or experiences that you feel that your audience uh, is going to work you know, well for their audience and, and just start it that way and just kind of, you know, build it up slow. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you can't just come off, you know, right up, right out of the gate and ask, you know, come out to our park. You can't do that. You know, you have to build it slowly. So um, what's the best, best way to like build an influencer marketing strategy then? Well, I think you have to know what your goals and key performance indicators are going to be. Uh, you have to map out the influencer landscape. And what I mean by that is, you know, who fits, you know, for what you do, for what your brand is. Uh, build a strategy, you know, towards, you know, your promotions, your special events, uh, your different campaigns that you have out there. Um, you know, find and research these influencers. That takes time. You know, that's one of the things. Everybody's time is valuable. But if you want to do it, you want to do it right. You know, you have to spend time, you know, finding and researching you know, who's the best influencers for your brand and, uh, you know, start early. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. You, you can't wait until an event is right around the corner, you know, a week or two away or something, and then start your outreach. I think you have to do that as soon as you know uh, that you're going to have a certain event or a new uh, ride opening. 
uh, a festival, whatever it might be, uh, you want to start that early and uh, let them know, you know, when it's happening so they can plan too, because a lot of these influencers, they're not all from your backyard. You know, a lot of them may travel from Florida, Tennessee, wherever, and they have to make travel plans as well too. So uh, always start early. So how do you uh, build a partnership with these influencers that's structured in a manner that's beneficial to both sides? Well, obviously with an influencer, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create awareness for an audience that you don't have, you know, outside of your own, you know, owned and shared channels. So you're trying to, to um, create that awareness there. So by having them come to your park and, and you know, whether it's, uh, you know, full day type experience or just covering an event or a new ride opening, uh, you know, who you are to their audience. And at the same time, you want to reciprocate and integrate their content after they publish it on your channels. So you're introducing them to your audience and that way they're gaining new followers as well. So uh, theme parks always have different campaigns throughout the year, whether it's special events, holiday related events, opening new attractions. When's the best time to work with influencers? Like if you want to bring them out, for example. Well, again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you want to start as early as possible with that outreach and let them know, you know, what's happening and kind of give them, you know, maybe give them your calendar of different events, too, so you can kind of, you know, pick what's going to be best for them, the best time to come there. Uh, you can never start too early. You know, uh, if you have a food festival, you have, um, like we talked about, new rides opening, um, you know, carnival, parades, you know, whatever it might be, nighttime shows, you want to start as early as possible. Okay, so just to clarify, um, when we're talking about these influencers, um, it, I, I'm sure this is going to be the burning question. So, you know, obviously you've got, you know, the roller coaster people that do the roller coaster thing and they market to roller coaster people. Um, when you have events that have food tied in, whether it's international events or whatever, there's, there's food vloggers out there. Who would you reach out to for like, a Halloween event. Would would you typically go to the people that rate these events? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you'd want to go to the influencers that you've seen that have covered the different uh, Halloween events around the country. Let them know, you know, that you have one coming up. Sometimes, you know, uh, it depends on what your event is. If it's the the scary type event, that's going to be a different type of influencer than the daytime, you know, family friendly kind of Halloween event where you're going to do more of the mommy uh, bloggers, the parent bloggers. Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the parents that have teens, you know, the moms that have teens, those kind of things. So, um, you know, depending on what your event is, that's who you're going to reach out to because they're not all going to be able to cover the full thing. You don't want a mommy blogger coming out covering a nighttime scary thing because that's not her audience. Right. right. So, I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, you're looking for a, a, uh, an influencer that meets a demographic that you're marketing to. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, food blogger, you know, you're going to want them to come out. And if, if it's a food event, um, you know, you have new food items at the beginning of the year. If you're doing a, a um, craft beer festival, you know, you go after the craft beer bloggers, uh, the ones that are doing uh, YouTube videos, Instagram, you know, the, those influencers. So you want to look at what it is, you know, what, what is the campaign? What is the event and identify, you know, who fits that. So, for example, um, you know, it, it, it goes a little bit, a uh, little bit lighter than, you know, for food, you get the food bloggers. But so, for example, you know, for a holiday event for like Christmas, you're going after families, right? Families, there aren't necessarily families, exactly. fam like Christmas YouTube channels. No, there's not. But there's the family blogger, you know, the travel blogger, uh, you know, uh, that's out there. So there's are the ones uh, that you want you know the one going to fit what a holiday event would be about okay you know, that's their audience so I yeah so you want to identify you know, who's who's following them you know who's who's uh you know responding to their content what are they talking about and that's going to help you identify whether they fit uh, for that specific event or that specific campaign yeah i guess what you could do is just ask yourself who your market who's this event for and then you find somebody that has the same right. audience you know um, exactly, exactly. You know, because, like, let's say, I mean, you've got experience with, like, extreme, extreme sports when they did skateboarding and, like, BMX biking and stuff like that, where I'm sure that there are people that have YouTube channels that talk about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So when they... Yeah, there are. Exactly. So when you bring them out, 
to view the event and talk about it, it's getting, you know, your park's name out there to their audience, which isn't necessarily your audience. And they get content. I mean, because to me, it seems like the parks, uh, the parks starve for attention while the YouTubers, the influencers starve for content. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the basis of the partnership, you know. Yeah, but if you're opening a new roller coaster and it's, you know, it's a media day event, uh, you know, that's not necessarily when you're going to have the food blogger out there, you know, or the craft beer blogger out there. And sometimes, you know, it's just, you know, they're on our list. Let's invite them. You know, that's not what you want to do. That's not being strategic with it. You want to have, you know, the, somebody that uh, doing, you know, fits their audience. Yeah, I agree. So uh, what's the best platform to turn to when identifying influencers that are appropriate for you? Well, I mean, Instagram, Ryan, you know, that comes top of mind because there's so many different ways to share content. You know, you got photos, you got albums, you got stories, um, you know, video. So Instagram is a, is a great fit right there. But I'm a big believer in YouTube is, is you know, where you want to be and who you want to work with. It's, it's like television uh, when you're on YouTube. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a larger form, you know, longer form content that you're going to have on on YouTube, it's uh, built for better storytelling. I think you know when you're, when you're talking about YouTube, it's also the second largest search engine out there. So why wouldn't you want to work with YouTube? You know, so with with that kind of uh, a traffic that's gonna you know watch the story and is going to then you know subsequently hopefully you know come to your website. So I would, for me, you know, while Instagram's great for being in the theme park amusement park industry. You know, it's more about storytelling, and I think you can do that better on YouTube. Right. Awesome. Now, if it's, if it's, if it's cooking or something like that, you know, then it's Instagram. But, uh, you know, for storytelling, I don't think you can beat YouTube. Yeah. A friend of mine has a six-year-old son. I remember the other day, well, this is probably a couple of weeks ago at this point, but I asked him, what's your favorite TV show? And he said YouTube. So for him, it's indistinguishable. Yeah. You know, he likes to watch YouTube, and that's his favorite show. So uh, I think that's quite telling about the future of this stuff, you know. Um, so Don, do you need to like chase the really big influencers, the ones that actually like charge a fee and stuff like that to be successful? You don't have to. I think there's a lot of success to be had, uh, you, you know, with, uh, the smaller audiences. Uh, it's more important than the most people, you know, so I've always believed that, you know, whether you're posting on your own social channels or whatever it might be, you know, it's better to reach the right people than just the most people. And it's the same thing with influencers. You know, you might find someone that has 5,000 followers. They're going to be more valuable uh, because of who they reach um, than maybe someone that's got 150,000 followers because their audience maybe isn't, you know, necessarily, you know, the theme park fan. Um, you know, so maybe somebody's got a big following, but you know their focus is on makeup. That's not going to really help you uh, drive, you know, have attendance or anything like that or create awareness for your park if, if that's what their niche is and that's who they they cater to. So you really have to look at that. And I think you're going to find in the in our industry that you know there's a lot more smaller influencers out there, but they're going to be better for you. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, some of the influencers, some of the biggest influencers, are regulars at Disney. Which I don't think that they necessarily fit into like the coaster enthusiasts. They're they're more of they bring their family there and they try the food and so on. So they kind of fit a plethora. But um, to build mm -hmm. onto what you were saying, uh, there's some that live in the Southern California era area and they go to Disneyland. They have millions of followers, but I imagine that most of their followers are people that have nostalgia and interest in Disneyland. So that would be west of the Mississippi, while there are one, many many that do Walt Disney World east of the Mississippi. You know, so um, I, I'm not saying that they would necessarily be a, a good fit to go to a regional park and talk about that. But that's a good example is like the demographics as far as the geography is concerned uh, may mm -hmm. play like if most of their viewers are out of California. It doesn't do a lot for your park in, um, you know, Rhode Island, you know, because not many people are going to make that commute. But OK, cool. Yeah, that's some good information, Don. Um, do you think influencer marketing is here to stay and where do you see it going in the future? I do think it's here to stay. I think it becomes an integral part of your, your marketing plan. You know, if, you, if you're in it now, you know, it's certainly going to be, but, uh, and it should be moving forward. But there's so many, uh, you know, different platforms that are going to be emerging in the future. You know, who thought two years ago that TikTok uh, would have the power in that that it has today? So, 
you know, what's the next TikTok that's going to be coming out there. So yeah, I do think it has a long, long shelf life there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I think that the influencer thing has always been a thing. Cause I was thinking that, you know, you, you look about the history of influencers, it's easy to say like, well, 2007, 2008, when YouTube came out, that's when influencers became a thing. But if you look back in history, you know, in the, you know, the 1900, in the 1900s, like they're a thousand years ago, but you know, 1970, 1980, you had like Dear Abby and stuff. That's somebody without any credibility whatsoever, just in front of a lot of people, you know, that are helping mm -hmm. them make decisions. And then I would argue that like um, contributors to newspapers that were like sports, they weren't bloggers necessarily, but they were contributors. No. You know, um, they were influencers too. It's just now it's everybody has a platform where they could potentially do it. Everybody reaches somebody. Some people reach a lot. You know, would you agree with that mm -hmm. statement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely with that. I mean, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, if you have a social and you've got some followers and people are interacting with you and talking about the, the you know, the, the subjects you're, you know, thinking about or posting about on Facebook and Instagram, I mean, you are an influencer. Yeah, that's true. I guess we could, you know, if you influence one person, you're an influencer. Uh, so a, a lot of like theme park enthusiasts, roller coaster enthusiasts and so on have launched their own YouTube channels where do they fit into like the marketing strategy of a park? Well, I think when you look at a lot of the uh, enthusiast YouTube channels, um, their audience, you know, and who they're going to, to reach and who's going to interact with them, you know, the coaster enthusiasts, they pretty much know what all the parks are doing. I mean, they stay on top of it, you know, they live it, uh, you know, so I, I don't know that, you know, when, when you have a YouTuber who's a coaster enthusiast and his audience, it, they're going to find something that, um, you know, it's going to be a new discovery for them about a park or anything. They know what's out there. So I think you're, you're, you're more limited in working with them. There's not going to be as much value as there would be as if you found a travel, uh, you know, somebody on YouTube that does Instagram or, you know, those kind of things that, uh, you know, they come out of Central Florida, wherever they may come from, but, uh, you know, the travel people where they go to parks all over the place, that's more valuable than channel. Uh, now, it's good if you have a new ride opening, you know, they, they come out, they preview the ride, you know, they give their review, those kind of things. Yeah, there's some value there with that, but I don't know that you would, you know, have somebody in the middle of the summer and they're just going to spend a day at the park. I mean, it's great for people who follow their channel, but you're not really reaching anybody new that doesn't know that you exist. I think the term you're looking for is preaching to the choir, isn't it, Don? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so um, if if somebody were to launch a YouTube channel, um, how would they go by? Let, let's say they've got like a thousand followers because a thousand subscribers is the minimum to be monetized on YouTube. So let's go with that benchmark. How would they go by forming a relationship with a, a park, especially a park that's close to them that they're going to be at regularly? Well, I think you want to reach out and, you know, make those connections with the park, uh, you know, communications department, their social media department, in advance of your first time coming out to the park and doing a story. You want to let them let the park know uh, what your channel's about. You know, are you going to do like a long form, you know, just here's my visit to this park and you're doing, you know, the different rides or you're going to eat the food. You're going to watch shows just a full, you know, full day at the park type thing. Or are you more uh, just focused on roller coasters? Are you looking for, uh, you know, maybe there's some construction going on or are you just out to do that kind of thing and get the speculation going? I think you want to be upfront and honest with the park. You want to have a relationship with them, what your channel is about. You know, what's your agenda? You know, what's your audience? You know, what are you trying to do uh, when, with your content that you're publishing? Awesome. Awesome. Well, Don, um, you know, I want to do a little bit of a thought experiment with you. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about content and the value to the parks and so on, I'm going to list off uh, off the top of my head uh, various types of videos that I commonly see on YouTube. And what I want you to do is I want you to rate on a scale of one to ten with 10 being of extreme value to the park, one being very detrimental to the park, and five having very little effect on the park whatsoever. Uh, I wonder you to rate these these subject matters and these, these types of videos just so influencers will know how it affects 
their relationship with the park. All right. Okay. So let's start. Uh, I'll softball one to you. Let's say a vlog about somebody's experience at the park. I think that has great value. It could be a nine or, or a 10 if they're, uh, you know, it's a longer form type video and uh, they're just kind of, uh, you know, detailing their day at the park, you know, uh, talking about the different rides they rode, the food they ate, the shows they watched. Um, I think that's great. People love watching that. I would put that up there as like an eight or a nine there, Ryan, maybe a 10, uh, depending on how or how long it is. But, but uh, you know, we talked about it being a TV uh, type show you know on youtube and i think that's a great thing you know if there's a 30 45 minute uh video of their day at a park i, I think you know people can't get enough of it they love watching those kind of videos yeah i, I completely agree with you there um yeah, and it's a way to it's a way to show the you know other people you know it's not just a quick hit about a roller coaster or a show it's it's you know it's a full day at the park and you're showing somebody if you come to this park here's all the things you can do here's all the rides here's all the food here's all the shows I think there's value in it. Okay, cool. Excellent. So what about um, the next one that kind of comes to mind is uh, Park makes an announcement and they put up a video analyzing the capital expenditure or whatever the announcement is. Where would you put that? I think that's right in the middle, you know, about a five or six. I think, you know, people are always interested in what people have to say, their thoughts. But it's just that. Um you know, it's not uh, it's not the gospel. You know, nobody's uh, you know everybody like they like to think there might be an expert or in something. Nobody, you know, is to that degree to where what they say is a hundred percent right. Everybody has a different opinion. Somebody's going to love what somebody's doing new. Somebody's not going to love it. Uh, but I think it just gets some. Uh, I think it's right in the middle. I mean, I don't think it's uh, doesn't hurt the part. Doesn't help. It's just right in the middle. It just keeps some conversations going, and it's a lot of speculation at that point in time, and everybody giving their opinions. Okay. So, what about um, either uh, doing videos on unannounced construction? Let's say not necessarily flying a drone over a park, or you, you know, said unannounced, right? Uh, this, okay. So we're going with unannounced, but there is some sort of construction going on, and we're not. We're talking about the person goes into the park and they film a video. And they say, like, this is where I think it's going to be a roller coaster or whatever because of this, you know. Um, where would you put that? Well, that's the key word, uh, you know, as I think, you know, sometimes people speak with conviction and say it's going to be this. And a lot of times they're wrong. I think that's where the problem comes in type of videos because uh, people run with it. And then sometimes they get so excited because they think this person's right and it's not that and they're disappointed. I'm going to put a lot of those kind of videos down on the lower end, you know, like a, a two or three in terms of what the the value is for it. Now, they do it right, and, you know, they're just kind of guessing, and, you know, I'm thinking it's this. They're not speaking with conviction. They get conversations going higher, maybe a six or seven, you know, it can be worth it there. Okay, so it depends on how they approach it. So if they're saying it exactly. like gospel, like like this is evidence of this, like hard evidence rather than, I think this is it. I think it will be the appropriate ride, and this is what I think why. But they make it very clear that it's their opinion, ultimately, then that might actually have some yeah, value as long as it. It, Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's when they speak with conviction and they're wrong, and I think a lot of times they're wrong on things, and it comes to show that at the end of the day, and it, it just leads to a lot of disappointment. So who are you really helping, you know, in that situation? Uh, but if, if it's just thinking it, you know, it could be this, you know, that would be so much fun. I'm hoping it's this, you know, always good content. That's always good discussion. You know, when, when people are, you know, trying to figure it out and playing the guessing game, that, that's great. Well, I mean, uh, coming back to teaser campaigns and stuff, that's kind of parks influence that, you know, and, and yeah. okay. Well, well okay. L let me actually ask that. So a teaser campaign and somebody does a video on analyzing that, is that pretty, I mean, is that pretty valuable? You think? I think so, yeah, because they're playing along with you. You know, that's what you want. Uh, you, you do a teaser campaign, you know, for that reason, to get people guessing, get people talking, uh, um, you know, make them wondering what you're doing, you know, create that, you know, intrigue, what's going to happen on this date. And you build up that uh, excitement for that announcement day or night. What about, um, like, ranking this park's roller coasters? Do you think that has any kind of influence? That's going to be right in the middle there, Ryan. You know, you give it a five. It's oftentimes really good content, but it's also, you know, one person's opinion. I could put down on paper my top ten parks, and I have you put your top ten. We might have two or three that, you know, were on each other's list. Everybody's going to have a different favorite. Um, so when it's subjective like that, 
don't, I don't, you know, think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be great for the park. It's not going to hurt the park. It's just somewhere in the midst of conversation. I mean, I guess it has some value because it's saying their name, you know, and it's saying their, yeah, saying their name, it's saying exactly. their products. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's, like, it's in the middle. It's in the middle. But it's, again, it's somebody's, you know, opinion and everybody's got a different top 10. Everybody's got, uh, you know, their favorite park. Everyone's got their favorite roller coaster. Everyone's got their favorite food, their right. favorite show. Um, you know, nobody's not too many people's lists are identical if you're going to go as far as 10. So uh, what about this is the most common video type that I see out there, but um, either making predictions as to future capital expenditures or if I was in charge, this is what I would do. What are your thoughts on that? Predictions are okay as long as you're not speaking with conviction or I think you're not trying, you know, if you come across something trying to break news, you know, for the park or trying to be a sleuth and you're always digging around, you know, trying to see what you can find. I think those don't help the park and a lot of times it doesn't help you as a channel, you know, when you're wrong. You lose credibility that way. Um, you know, if I was running the park, I'd do this or that. You know, everybody again's got an opinion. I think that's, you know, that's good. Everybody likes to see what someone else would do you know, if they were in charge. So, you know, you, you don't, you know, you like seeing that. Everyone's ideas are or not. But I think on the other end with predictions, as long as it's a prediction, you know, you're not saying this is going to happen or I found this and here's what it looks like and here's what it's going to be. You know, when you're doing that and you're putting it out there before the park, that doesn't help the park and ultimately doesn't help you because it's not going to, you're not going to have a great relationship with those parks when you do that. So, you know, you and I have discussed this before, but, that it, it is an epidemic where people, I mean, it's public record. They're not doing anything wrong necessarily, but no. what are your thoughts on it when, you know, a park's building up to an announcement and somebody on YouTube or whatever, or even somebody in the legacy media kind of spoils it and they're able to get a lot of information. So the announcement is kind of like, well, now we'll know what the name and the color is rather than what the actual announcement is. Like, what, go ahead and rant about that. Keep it PG. <laughs> well, there's a lot of no. There's a lot of guests that uh, you know. It's like like knowing in September what your Christmas gifts are going to be. You know, they're, they're going to be unwrapped under the tree. So I think you spoil it for a lot of people. Uh, you know, people that don't want to know. You know, so they're not going to follow you. You know, if that's what you're going to be doing a lot of times too. So a lot of people like to be surprised. Um, but the world, you know, with social media and. And all of that, I mean, it's inevitable. You know, people are going to come across things. They're going to be able to find things. They're going to report on things. Um, you know, you accept that. And, uh, you know, the day being able to keep everything under wraps until the moment you announce, I mean, that's just that's just not there anymore for parks. Um, you know, it, you're not going to be able to do that. Now, you hope to have elements that they don't know, and there are going to be things that they don't know. A lot of times they don't know the name or they don't know the color or they don't know the manufacturer. They might know a layout or something, um, but there's still some surprises and things, you know, for people. But I think for the most part, the majority, the majority of guests, they still like to be surprised on, on that day, you know, when things are going to be announced and uh, they don't like things spoiled for them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you've been in the game for so long that, uh, I mean, I, I guess when you, when you became you know, employed in the industry. It was kind of a thing then in 2007 ish. Um, but what the observation that I have with that is, first of all, I'm, as I've aged, I've definitely been in the camp of not wanting to know, you know, I'd rather be surprised. Um, but uh, well, let me tell you this. So if you think that, you know, the roller coaster thing's bad with this, just look at like the iPhone, like literally before before Apple makes their announcement, every single little detail is known about it. They know what it's going to look like. They know what it's going to cost. They know this, everything. But one thing I will tell you is somebody that watches videos like that, I don't know why I do, but I do. But when they make these announcements, there's always two or three nuggets of small information that I didn't know. And those are so incredibly exciting that, okay, I knew that. I knew that. Whoa, it does that? So I think that almost with the roller coaster stuff, that's almost true too. I mean, obviously, the last um, announcement that you you were involved with and I saw live was was Orion at Kings Island, um, and nobody knew the color. No one was sure of the name. No one really knew the theme. So, like, okay, the layout got out. That was public record, whatever. But there was a lot we learned that day, and that was exciting. 
Yeah, and that's that's uh, you know, is what you want to try to do. Like you said, have a couple of different nuggets that people don't know. Uh, same time, Ryan, you have to look at it too. People care; they're interested. You know, if nobody cared, nobody was interested. Nobody'd be talking about it, right? So, right. Uh, you know, th- there's that side of the coin too. You know, that goes along with it. So, um, you know, there's things you wish people wouldn't do, but at the same time, it is in today's world with you know all the technology and things that are out there, and you know everything's instant. With you know going to a park and you see you know something that's posted in the ground, you know, uh, you know stick or something like that and everybody's you know buzzing about it uh you know and sometimes somebody's cutting the grass and oh they must be doing something here they haven't cut the grass there for you know six weeks so that must be something new coming and people get all excited and that but uh you know i don't know it's uh it's one of those things that uh you know just the world we live in things are going to get out there um and you know people are going to discuss it and it's it's not going to happen very often anymore on a park's time uh, you just got to make the best of that situation. Awesome. Don, do you have any final thoughts about influencer marketing before we move on? I just think it's, uh, you know, it's where we are today. And I think that, uh, you know, you can't beat that third party credibility. It's, um, you know, when somebody's at your park and they're, they're giving their reviews and, you know, it's, it's not coming from you yourself. You can't always be the one out there trumpeting, you know, what you're doing. And, you know, you can't be saying we got the best roller coaster, we got the best food and we got the best shows. Um, you know, it, when you work for a brand and you're doing that, you know, it's, it's, it just kind of is white noise, you know, you're going to say that, but they have somebody else that's an influencer saying that, uh, those things that, uh, you know, you would love to have out there. You, you can't beat that. Absolutely. All right, Don. All right, Don. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments where we talk about the top six news information, rumors, patents, etc. in the theme park industry with a little segment we like to call... The Pick Six. And Don... Story number one is very, very special to all of us because this coming week we are going to have National Roller Coaster Day. So the National Roller Coaster Day is going to be August 16th. It's August 16th every year, so it's not just this year. Don, how do you celebrate National Roller Coaster Day? You know, just appreciating the opportunity that we all have to go out and ride roller coasters at our favorite theme parks. I think it's, uh, you know, roller coasters are the king of the amusement park attractions and i think it's you know great that they have their day and uh you know just find a way to celebrate uh you know by going to a park on august 16th and riding your favorite coaster yeah hopefully something historic you know because we're celebrating the 100 plus year history of the roller coaster especially the modern roller coaster in america so that's really exciting um don if you had one roller coaster that you could ride your doctor said you can ride one more roller coaster, but if you ride two, it'll kill you. So you can only ride one more and then no more roller coasters forever. What would that ride be? I'm going to ride the Beast of Kings Island. I think if I could only do one more ride, that's going to be it. Special roller coaster, nothing you know like it anywhere else. So it's a unique experience. Um, you know, It's just different, and uh, that's why I would pick that one. Yeah, that ride just hits a little different, doesn't it? You know, you get a lot of people... I've never heard somebody outside of the coaster enthusiast community say this, but within the coaster enthusiast community, there's a lot of ragging on it with not enough air time, not enough this, not enough that. But you know what? I think the intention is to go through this incredible voyage to the woods. Um, And I don't think that any other ride could ever create that feeling the way that the Beast does. It's so loud. It's so chaotic. It just whips you through the woods, especially at night. I think it's incredibly special. So I would probably go with the Beast as the last ride as well. Yeah, just the uniqueness of it that you can't get that experience anywhere. That's why I'm going to pick that one. Awesome. All right, number two, Ryan. A new water coaster is going to open at Soaking Mountain Water Park in Sevierville. Wow, is that area really grown over the last few years? But, uh, Rider uh, duel to see who wins. It's a 70 foot, uh, you know, uh, tall attraction. Uh, riders are going to be blasted 
uh, up a wall. Now think about that being blasted up a wall uh, with extreme G-forces. It sounds like a, you know, if you're a water park, you know, aquatics fan, this is going to be right up your alley on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think water coasters are terribly underrated. I think they're incredibly thrilling. They're so innovative now. Like most of them use like linear synchronous or linear induction motors or, or whatever. I'm not an engineer, but um, I think that's just so cool. Um, so Sevierville, Tennessee, what, what I always think about is that's the exit you get off for Dollywood. And this isn't four oh seven. This isn't yeah. far from that exit, Don. If you were getting off that exit, approximately one year from now, before you stop at the Soaky Mountain Water Park, where is somewhere you would go in Sevierville, Tennessee? Approximately one year from now. I'm going to Bucky's. Oh my gosh, Bucky's is going to be the largest, the largest convenience store. Uh, you know, well over a hundred pumps. I mean. I can't, you know, I'm just blown away by what Bucky's is as, uh, you know, people, if they listen to the last couple episodes uh, of our podcast, uh, no, but uh, yeah, I get off. The, it's a destination. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bucky's, you mentioned like the gas pumps and stuff. For those of you who don't know, Bucky's is like the Walt Disney World resort. And I'm not using that word lightly of gas stations. There's, uh, you said you counted 120 pumps at the one in Richmond, Kentucky, right? I did. Yes. Okay, so 120 pumps there. The one in Sevierville, Tennessee, is going to be larger. Inside, it's about the size of. I would say it's almost like a 1980s Walmart. It's not a super Walmart. It's not a super Kroger or anything, but it's very large, and the food is fantastic. It's the best gas oh, station amazing. food you could. I mean, and, and gosh, the one in Rich, Richmond, Kentucky, is so busy too. It's just it's like Black Friday at Walmart. Uh, but you know, like amusement park rides, you know, they're built, some of them are built for like high capacity. Right. Bucky's is built for high capacity. I mean, just look at all the registers and things we have. There's hundreds of people in there when you come off the exit and you go in there and it's just people everywhere. But you move through the line so quick just because there's so, so many people ready to, um, you know, serve you those sandwiches and things that they make. And, you uh, you know, it's just a fantastic play that, but that would be my first stop. Then I'm going to go to the water park. Yeah, the water park looks cool. Day. I mean, that's developed a lot. I don't want to take anything away from the Soaky Mountain Water Park, too. Uh, they're gonna, I'm sure they're going to have a wonderful partnership with Bucky's. But uh, Soaky Mountain, I remember the last couple of years that I've been going to Dollywood regularly. Um, I think it was just an indoor water park at first. I'm not certain of that. I haven't stayed there yet. I plan on it now. But then they built like a small outdoor section. And then they took the outdoor section pretty seriously with this. I mean, I drove past the construction, but I didn't know exactly what was going on. I actually thought it was a separately ticketed water park up there. But this is going to be something to see. And uh, I'm glad because, you know, Sevierville is uh, it's far enough away from, you know, the Gatlinburg-Dollywood area that maybe people that live in that area can't necessarily get there to work or whatever. So what a great opportunity for so many people and a great attraction uh, just right there off the expressway. And I think it's really exciting. So hats off to the Soaky Mountain Water Park in Sevierville, Tennessee. And I guess hats off to Bucky's too, if you got to have that. But all right. <laughs> You're going to hear about Bucky's a lot if you listen to our podcast. We're going to start a dedicated sorry, podcast but, uh, to Bucky's. I'm a fan. So uh, not close to any Bucky's that we know of. The Andretti Indoor Theme Park is coming to Arizona. Uh, I believe this is the second location, but it's going to it's gonna have um, go-karts as well as high-tech entertainment. This is built on approximately a $40 million budget. Now, one thing that, you know, when we were discussing this off, off camera, Don, is uh, it's indoors. So that's really nice in that Arizona heat. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it almost has to be, you know. Uh, sometimes people will, will tell me, I don't, you know, why aren't there more uh, theme parks than that in Arizona? Well, it's outside, you know, 118 degrees or whatever it might be on a given day there. And, I mean, it gets hot. So, yeah, indoors is the way you have to go there. And uh, this looks like a, a phenomenal um, you know, project that they're working on there. And I think it's going to be the second Andretti indoor, uh, you know, theme type uh, attraction there that they have in that area. And I assume this is named after like Mario and Michael Andretti, the race car drivers. Yeah. Mar Mario. Yeah. Mario. This one's after Mario. Okay. So this is named after Mario. Um, are they from that area or do they just license it? Do you know? I would think they've just had to license it. You know, as far as I know, most of the drivers, you know, I just know that been a long time in Indianapolis when they were the Andrettis. Right, right. Yeah, because I believe they're uh, IndyCar drivers. But hey, yes, if we're wrong about from, this, I don't know, we but... know a lot about theme parks and Bucky's. 
So if we're wrong, tweet us at attractions underscore GRP after you follow us, and you can tell us all about Mario, Michael, and Dreddy. The only reason I know those names is because they were regulars on Home Improvement with Tim Allen. Okay, let's move on. All right, number four, Hattiesburg Zoo. It's in Mississippi. They've announced that uh, there's more construction, uh, more details about the water park expansion. It's, uh, this, uh, I guess, it's a Serengeti, they're calling it. It's scheduled to be completed in the summer. That's next summer. $10.5 million, nine new slides. Uh, it's going to be impressive, Ryan. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, it's funny how there's a trend of um, adding theme parks and or water parks to zoos. Um, I've always wondered how that affects like their conservation efforts in terms of like, do you think that bringing in that kind of revenue helps them save the polar bears and stuff? I mean, I don't pretend to know a whole lot about, uh, you know, conservation and things like that. But I, I feel like any way that they can sell tickets would help with that with that effort, wouldn't it? Well, I think it helps bring back, you know, a little bit more repeat business. You know, uh, you know, you might go to the zoo a couple of times a year to look at the animals. This might be something you now do if you're in that area. You might do it, you know, maybe once or twice a week to go to the water park, uh, the way they're building this. So I think it's a way to, you know, just get more of that repeat business there. Uh, and also it's going to, you know, lengthen your stay, you know, so you're going to go to the water park for a little while. You're going to go around, check out the animals, you know, maybe have a meal or something, but, uh, you know, you're right. It is uh, becoming more of a trend that you're seeing more and more zoos adding water parks. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so, yeah, good luck to them. I mean, uh, Serengeti Springs looks like it's going to be a really cool attraction. And, um, you know, we wish them the best of luck. $10.5 million. That's a lot of money for a water park. So uh, it, it looks is. like it's going to be a, a really, really big expansion. So moving along. uh so besides National Roller Coaster Day, which is next week, this is the best time of year to be a theme park fan because it is announcement season. And this is the time of year when most parks announce their following year's capital expenditures. So just as an example of some of the attractions that have announced here in the United States, uh, Dollywood announced a Vacoma launched family coaster, which looks super exciting, really cool. Uh, several new flat rides are coming to Carowinds in a new area um, that is themed to like aeronautical because of Kitty Hawk, obviously. Uh, there's a new pavilion and is Zamperla Wild Mouse going to Cedar Point, which is going to be just absolutely incredible. And one of the most exciting announcements, I think, from uh, you know an industry standpoint, is that new Titan Track roller coaster going to Worlds of Fun. So that's going to have a circular lift hill like the old uh, jumbo jets or whatever. So I, I think this is going to be such an incredible year uh, for the industry coming up. So, Don, you know, one thing that I have noticed is that, you know, historically speaking, rides have very often been announced this time of year. Um, but in the past, often rides were announced. So we're going to build a roller coaster. But it's not until March or so that they say this is going to be the name. This is going to be the theme. What do you think's changed over the past 30 years? 40 years maybe well i think part yeah part of it is you know the parks now all have season passes so it kind of ties in with uh you know the time of year when the season passes for the next year would go on sale uh there's also you know before it was poster or if you were bringing in a scrambler it was a scrambler uh you know bringing in a flume ride it was a flume ride uh there wasn't any kind of real backstory about it some of them had very generic names uh so you know, a lot has changed to where there's more storytelling now with, with the rides, you know, story-driven. Uh, so what you do, you know, by announcing that in August, you get, uh, you know, the excitement going for the next season. Uh, you know, people are able to start following the construction of these projects uh, throughout the winter. And then by the time you get to, you know, April, May, and, you know, you, your, your park's opening, you know, people are just super excited, can't wait to to get to the park and ride. So I think it's all part of that, uh, you know, the, the, the marketing plans and things to, you know, names and the logos and, and everything up there up front, you know, when you announce it. And, uh, you know, the storytelling part of it, it, it really lends to uh, the imagination. You know, you, you can play with that during the off season while you're waiting for the ride to work. So, uh, you know, I think that's what's changed over the last 30 years is just more to it than just it's a ride and here's the name. So, you know, obviously, like, um, you know, a ride was announced, then the name was announced in the spring. But typically speaking, did they have the name or were they trying to squeeze two stories out of it? Like, how did that work? 
a lot of times, no, a lot of times they didn't. You know, they didn't. Uh, you know, like when the Beast was announced in 1978, it didn't have a name. You know, until the following February. You know, it was basically two months before it opened when it when it finally got its its name. So, uh, you know, but I think maybe that you can trace it back to uh, you know the Beast changing the game with how Parks announced right because now you know it just didn't have you know the words you know it had a logo that, uh you know something that was gonna be long lasting you know something that people wanted to buy the the shirts the hats and everything else to go with that so it just kind of made it to where you know you became more creative uh with your names and and what you could do with it on the on the merchandising level yeah i always wondered at what point we went from you know naming a ride the beasts uh, uh, you know where it drew the line from just naming the ride roller coaster like so many were or yeah, shooting star like so or, many yeah, were yeah, exactly. jumbo jet or something like that yeah, yeah yeah all those kind of things exactly but i think that just because that logo and it just the way it lended itself to so many different opportunities and you know outside of just a ride i think it just kind of evolved from there so really i would say about 40 40 years ago is when it started to change a little bit where the names at least were coming out with the rides but uh you know you you still had maybe later in the year but then season passes you know with parks those things didn't really come about until 1979 either so that's why you didn't see that back then you know as much so uh, that's become a big part of the business for so many parks is season pass and it becomes a you know just it all ties in perfectly you know as you're winding down your summer season and to move into the fall and you know just to get people excited about next year so do you think names mattered less in like the 1940s 50s and 60s when Rides oh, yeah. were named Roller Coaster and Skyrocket, you know, not not Skyrocket, that's that's a current name, but like, you know, you had those like Astro Coasters because everything was named after the space program and, you know, stuff like that. Like, did they, so in, in those time periods, those decades, was it less of a thing to make t-shirts? Like, we're, I, I'm, 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 I'm missing the context of history, I guess. Yeah, I think, you know, back then, number one, that was so... You know, people weren't going like they do today. It's, it wasn't a way, of, you know, for people you're traveling all over the country. You know, you went to your local park. Uh, you know, you would buy ride tickets. Um, but you were mostly there, you know, it was, you know, date night, you know, or something where they had, you know, a, a dance facility like you had at old Cincinnati's Coney Island where you had the Moonlight Gardens, you know, something like that. Or you had the steamboat, you know, would drop people off. And uh, so it was a different different way of visiting a park, different way of experiencing a park. There weren't live shows or anything, you know, back in those those days too much. Um, you know, it was a you know like a, going to a carnival most with, at a lot of these parks. Uh, you know, you had one or two roller coasters maybe, um, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, you didn't. People loved roller coasters, but there wasn't. Uh, you know, you didn't have uh, the thrill seekers and that that you have to. You know, it wasn't a way of life with people. It was just you know that fun thing to do couple of times during this yeah i mean uh, season passes didn't come to be until circa 1980 in a lot of cases sometimes later uh like kennywood held off until mm -hmm. 2010 or so you know sometime around then you know um but that's that's kind of interesting um because obviously the industry has changed quite a bit you know and we can nitpick every little detail and we've talked about how social media and apps have changed the industry but it's funny how fundamentally different things were because if if you look at i was talking to my girlfriend about this and she was just like flabbergasted last year she's like cedar point is 150 years old this park is 100 they've been doing this for 150 years and it's like no they haven't they've been doing what they've been doing since like 1968 or so whenever gemini was installed that's when modern cedar point came to be if you came to cedar point in 1930 you would have one wooden coaster. You'd have a roller skating rink. You'd have dance. It would be, it was a beach resort. So it's had the same name yeah. for that long. But a theme park as it is now, it's hard to compare what we have now to what they had, what they considered a theme. Well, first of all, a theme park didn't come until, you know, Disneyland open, you know, so it was an amusement park. And at that People didn't go for thrill rides. People went for dancing and skating and things like that. So it's incredible yeah, it how like things a date have night kind of a thing. Exactly. So now you go with your friends and stuff, and you ride rides, and it's about conquering thrills, and it's about telling stories. And I'm not saying the change is for the bad. It's definitely for the good, but it's definitely better. You know, and I don't want to take anything away from yeah. Cedar Point for their 150th, but the fact of the matter is, 
you know, it's been an entertainment facility for 150 years, but to try to act like it's been a theme park or an amusement park for 150 years is kind of like a revisionist history. But nonetheless, we move on because yeah, you know, one one thing too about all these uh, you know attractions, Ryan, that you you know rattled off that are coming out there today. One of the things that has me really excited is it seems like you know the the flat rides are you know a lot more of them coming out than we had seen in you know over the last maybe 10 or 15 years right. where there was more of a focus on the thrill ride now it's getting back to those attractions that everyone can do together you know the families can do together and i think that's great i'm i'm real excited about a lot of these flat rides that are going into all these parks and i can't wait to get out and ride a lot of them i agree you know carowinds is adding like three or four which is uh really exciting they're taking out some of the ones that are a little bit dated like their yo-yo and uh the plants versus zombies thing um but so they're putting in some new ones. But let's not uh, let's not take away from the other ones, even the ones that are roller coasters. The the um, I think that the Dollywood the Dollywood roller coaster is like a thirty nine inch height limit or something like that. So that's still like you can ride yeah, it with again, your kid. Um, that's you know, uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but it, it's something like less than a normal coaster. So, uh, but be, yeah, but exactly. you know, especially having. Um, I, I don't have kids, but having children in my life, you know, when they reach those milestones, it's so nice. It's like, oh, now you can ride these rides. Now you can ride these rides and put, putting more of them um, into that limit. And especially, um, you know, a friend of mine that has a kid that's uh, just getting to the age where they can say like, yes or no, I want to ride this stuff. Always talks about it used to be this park needs a flying coaster. This one needs a floorless coaster. Now it's I this park really needs more more roller coasters that are for kids under 40 inches. You know, and I bet a lot more people think that than think that this park needs a flying coaster, you know. So, oh, exactly. So. Yeah, but uh, you want to have as many things as you can uh, that uh, everyone in the family can kind of enjoy together. I think that's good. But, but uh, like I said, uh, some of these flower rides out that, the new roller coasters, you know, excited about that. I think 2023 is going to be a great year for the industry. Well, I mean, just if you're just looking at the few that I rattled off here. You know, the Dollywood launched Vacoma Coaster is the biggest Vacoma Coaster to come to the United States in a while. So that company's on a comeback. They used to be like the big lots of roller coaster brands. And now there's something to they're they're, they're making a comeback and it's really cool. And then, um, you know, Worlds of Fun. I didn't write down the name of their coaster. It's it's renamed from like an old coaster that they had in the past. But that's Titan Track. That's a wood roller coaster track that's actually steel. And that's the one of the uh, I think it is the first ever one that's a full circuit like that they've done titan track in different sections at like white lightning at, at fun spot and uh orlando yeah. but this is their first full circuit and i'm so excited to find out how that turns out because this is just a little baby version of what's possible not to play down that coaster that coaster yeah, looks just, awesome but those infinity flyer trains yeah, just so much fun right what's that so much fun right oh i know like. the spiral lift hill i don't know if i talked about that or not but it's got a spiral lift hill that uses kicker wheels and that just tickles me to death because that's so unique and it's um i think that the old ride that it's that this is themed after had that as well it was like a jumbo jet kind of situation mm -hmm. so that's just so neat that they went with that just ugh, i'm just so happy about that don let's turn my 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 smile upside down and let's let's Pick six, we want to do something a little bit different for this last one, because we're going to talk about attractions that we miss. So, Don, if you had to pick one attraction yeah, to so bring back. what ride, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I'm going to go uh, Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. And uh, that was uh, so much, uh, you know, fun and so many memories of, you know, taking my daughter when, you know, she was four, five, six years old, you know, to, to go through and ride that several times a visit. Uh, you know, my wife loved it. Uh, just so many memories there. So I do miss that ride when we go there now and it's not there. And, and you know, I think they have the character meet and greets and that in that building now. But, uh, you know, it always feels like, uh, you know, there's a void when I go to Walt Disney Kingdom now and a Snow White ride isn't there. You know, other things that they built, you know, around there in that area, you know, since then. Uh, but I miss that. And also, you know, at the Disney's Hollywood Studios, I miss the... Uh, the movie ride you know I, I miss that a lot too that was a lot of fun to, to do that that attraction yeah the great movie ride is one that i would put on the list that that's that was really fun and so unique and it really embodied that park and it's such a shame that it had to go 
I understand the situation, and a lot of people think that Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is a worthy replacement. I haven't ridden it yet, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. Yeah, it's an amazing ride, but I mean, just the memories again. You know that, uh, you know, you I remember my daughter when she was young, growing up, up, and it was just in that, you know, we're gonna go to this park and we're gonna go do that ride. We were gonna do the Snow White ride, and uh, so that that's why I miss those, just because of the memories not that they were the you know the best rides ever but just because of the what memories. was your favorite scene in the great movie ride i liked when they you know kind of like tried to when they would stop and they would you know like attack the, the, the oh yeah the vehicle yeah i like that when it would stop right there because the first time i did it i thought something was wrong something had broke you know i didn't know what was happening there uh but just the actors and things i like that in there that uh you know that you almost became part of the the story they were telling when they would have that scene. Yeah, my favorite was the um, Wizard of Oz scene, and the reason for that is that was amazing too. Oh, it, absolutely incredible! And you thought it was over, and then I guess spoiler alert, even though you have to watch it on YouTube to experience it, but then um, you know the Wicked Witch of the West would come out, you know, and it would stop because like you think you would just roll through and they would be you know sing their song and that's it, and that was pretty darn incredible but the wicked witch would come out and i remember thinking that it was actually an actress since the animatronic was so good because you know yeah, they I mean, had actors in earlier you know so i thought it was real and it's not just that it was the fact that when um they they think of everything with disney they they usually do so when she comes out all the munchkins are hiding and sometimes they go out of view, and that's no, that's easy enough to do. But sometimes, like, they lower down just enough that they're peeking out and stuff. So it really, like, implies mm -hmm. that they're afraid of her. And it was just, that was just such a great scene. Um, I like the early stuff. I don't really connect with, like, early, like, golden age of Hollywood stuff or whatever. But I always thought that was really neat of the, you know, the hooray for Hollywood and, um, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, singing in the rain. Uh, what was the other one that was really, that was really interesting? Uh, the woman with the umbrella that flew, Mary Poppins. The umbrella, yeah. Yeah, umbrella Mary lady, Poppins. Mary Poppins. I always, I like that scene too. So, um, I, I thought that ride was incredible. It was a great embodiment. Um, but you kind of can ride a cartoon now with Mickey and Mickey's Runaway Railway. I almost wish we had the podcast uh, for um, for that when it came out, so we could have discussed it. You know, yeah, another thing that ride's a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. I haven't been there yet, but well, I haven't been there since it came out. But uh, remember, D23 for Disney is coming up in a couple weeks, too, when they talk about uh, Disney World and Land's capital expenditures uh, for the next three or four years. So that's something we're going to have to discuss. Um, I always usually, I follow it close enough um, to make sure that they don't get rid of Tower of Terror at Hollywood Studios. Then I kind of drift off. Um, but the thing is... I always have a problem, like, because people, like, really freak out about it and stuff, and, you know, it's every other year, and people count down the days, and they're so excited, and I'm excited, too, but there's so much that goes on that they announce that won't happen for five years, or they announce it and it never comes to fruition, that it's hard to get excited about it, almost. Like, would you agree? Yeah. Well, I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's just, they do it the way, the way they do it for a reason, I'm sure, you know, um, because... They got to start construction. It takes years and years to build this stuff. I mean, look at Tron. I mean, Tron got delayed because of COVID, but that's been half built for a century now. You know, but right. um, you know, they were talking about uh, Mary Poppins ride. That was supposed to go to Epcot, and now it's like questionable as to whether or not it's actually going to happen. You know, so I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm going to watch it obviously more intently now that we're going to have to discuss it on the podcast, of course, but I usually just yeah. make sure they get them with whatever they're doing to Hollywood studios. And, you know, they don't say like, okay, tower of terrors going away or whatever. And then I walk away happy that day. Cause that's my worst nightmare. Cause tower of terror is my favorite ride on earth. I love that ride too, Ryan. Awesome. Cool. Hey, this draws us to the end of uh episode. What are we eight? Gosh, Episode eight. Episode. Yeah. So tell people where they can follow us, Ryan. Uh, they can follow us around most major theme parks if they see us there. Oh, you mean online? Um, okay. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter first of all, attractions underscore grp. As Don stated at the top of the program, he is going to be giving away some Don crap 
uh, which is stuff that he has uh, acquired over the collected over the years, collect, collected acquired, collected over over the past several decades in the theme park industry. He's got some really interesting stuff. He sent me some pictures, and I'm not going to tell you what he sent me, but um, really interesting things that he wants to give away. So we're going to try to get up to 100 Twitter followers, and he's going to randomly select one of the first 100 Twitter followers to receive some of this uh, Donabilia. Um, also, you can follow us. It is cool It's stuff. great stuff. Also, um, you can follow us on your favorite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And most importantly, subscribe on YouTube, because we want to start going live. When we go live, we can do more giveaways. We can have open discussion. We can have people chat in. We'll bring in guests just for the... F we don't have to bring in industry people. If you want us to bring in a YouTuber or something, we'll have a discussion with them live in front of you. It's all for the fun of it. But make sure you subscribe on YouTube by searching for The Attractions Group Podcast and hitting that subscribe button. And once again, we always, always appreciate your feedback and your support. Don, any final words of wisdom before we kick this off until next week? No, just uh, been another fun night chatting with you about what's going on around the industry here on the Traxons Group podcast. We hope our audience uh, enjoys it as much as you and I do talk. Yeah, we definitely do this for us because we love talking about it. All right, everybody. Well, thank you one more time for supporting us and following us and listening to our podcast. It means the world to us. We will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>